Hello, I'm Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. Today, we're talking about a bizarre murder triangle involving two teenage girls and a chubby Elvis-looking Svengali. This is our part two of our two-part series on the 1985 murder of Linda Brown. Last week, we covered the murder of Linda Brown and the investigation into the strange and shifting world of her family unit, ending in the conviction of her amnesia-suffering 14-year-old stepdaughter. Freaking justice for cinnamon. The girl's innocent. I have lots of theories now. This is a legitimate mystery, and I don't know how it went down. But I'm saying free cinnamon. I love this because I think this is a pretty, like, it's a popular story, but I Uh know you don't know anything about it, and it's such, it's very fun to tell you about. Uh Oh, this one, I didn't know that. This one's, like, well documented. I guess it's an Anne Rule book, so, and she's famous, so it makes sense that people would know about it. Yeah. This week, we're covering the unmasking of decades of family secrets and a second explosive incredibly overly ambitious murder for hire scheme for this two-part episode i read and rules book if you only love me or something like that my first and rule book ever Uh uh-huh uh if you really loved me by ann rule it's great find it wherever you get your books I know. Let's face it, Amazon. <laughs> oh, you can find it at the, the beautiful little indie mom and pop. It's going to be Amazon. Um, that's a really good title. If you really loved me, I feel like that's. I feel like that's what David is saying to these women in his life. If you really love me, you would do all of this horrible stuff, aka murder your sister Linda. To and he's saying that to Patty. I have yeah, theories. Yeah, but I well, don't you know, know how what? it went down. You know what? 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 Hold on to your butt. Oh, Muriel, I, you get no satisfaction from me. And I know there's a few listeners out there that are getting sick of you trying to do that. And to them, I say, what's up? And to all the people who loved it, you know, I say, screw all, all you right, guys. Go on, go on. That's it. We're done. Great. No, no, nothing. Let's get started. Remember, this is a true story involving murder, violence, drugs, adult themes, etc. There's also some F-bombs in this one. So if any listeners are like Nick and they don't like hearing about those kind of things, please consider listening to a different podcast. And we do tend to joke about things like this. So if you hate that kind of thing, turn us off. All right, Nikki, are you ready to hear this story? No. Okay, let's get started. We're picking up at the point where now 18-year-old Cinnamon Brown has finally decided to talk about the night her stepmother was killed. Mm -hmm. Cinnamon contacted investigator Jay Newell to make a sort of anti-confession. She didn't do it. She was a young and naive 14-year-old when she took the blame for her stepmother's murder. She had spent the last years of her childhood in prison, slowly coming to the conclusion that her father, David Brown, was a huge dumbass. (laughs) Yes. After a telephone confession and a few taped interviews, investigator Jane Newell 
finally had Cinnamon's version of events leading up to the night that Linda was killed. Uh-huh. The slow escalation, the pressure, mm. the idiot schemes mm. and aborted murder attempts leading up to the violent, senseless murder of 23-year-old Linda Marie Brown. God, I forgot she was so young. And you're saying leading up to the murder because she still has amnesia about that night. She still blocked that out. We'll see. Okay. Okay. According to Cinnamon, everything started in late 1984 around Christmas time. So remember, Linda was killed in 1985 in the spring. Yeah. One night, Cinnamon was hanging in the living room with her father, David, and 17-year-old Patty Bailey, who's Linda's little sister. Yes. Patty went into the kitchen to get a snack or something, and she didn't come back for a few minutes. So one thing about the house was because David Brown ran his data recovery business, you know, it's like uh-huh. computer data recovery business yeah, yeah. from home. He had all of the phones rigged up to like a speaker phone system, a primitive hand-free device for the primitive tech bro on the go. Okay. So it was really easy uh-huh. for anyone to hear any phone conversation in the house. A lot of them were just like blasted out into the hallways. When Patty came back, she had this dramatic look on her face. She crept up to Cinnamon and David and she told them she just heard Linda talking with her twin brother, Alan, on the phone about murdering David. Okay. Cinnamon and David at that night were like, ha ha, very funny, Patty. You're so weird. They're just laughing. They think it's a joke. She says that the family is a bunch of pranksters. So this was like a classic prank. Yeah, really funny. Uh Uh-huh, good, good. But the next day, Cinnamon said her dad brought it up again with dark, haunted eyes telling his young daughter he was terrified. He knew it was true Linda was going to kill him. And from that day on, David brought it up every day. And each day he had more information. Linda and Alan Bailey were going to kill him. They were going to go collect on his life insurance policy. They were going to steal data recovery for themselves. And then in January 1985, the Browns took a family trip to Kmart. Linda Brown and David's infant daughter, Crystal, stayed in the van while David and Patty went inside. Cinnamon went in to ask her dad a question and found him making out with Linda's little sister, Patty, amongst the racks of Kmart clothes. Yeah, right. Very romantic. And horrible. And she's 17. No, I know. All of the things are He's been grooming her forever. I do have a question about Patty. I know she... Um, moved out of her house and part of the reason was she was being sexually assaulted by her brothers, right? And then that's one of the at least excuses that David wanted to make to bring her into the house. I don't know if there's validity to it or not, but is Alan, this twin brother, one of these? You know, I can't really tell. Mm -hmm. The Baileys feature really heavily in this as a family unit, but yeah, yeah, Alan is definitely one of the brothers. So, like, I don't know which... Brothers, there were a lot of, I think there were 10 or 11 siblings. Yeah. So there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I think according to Patty, that was totally true. Yeah. I just don't know which brothers. And it does make it really intense. Right. You know, to think about that unit being like still a family unit and still featuring large in their lives. Yeah. 
Okay, take us back to this makeout scene in Kmart. So David told Cinnamon the makeout session was an accident. Sure. It didn't, it just happened, right? And that she couldn't breathe a word about it or the murder plot to Linda. Linda's not going to understand. She's a murderer. Do not talk to Linda. After that, Cinnamon, Patty, and David sort of formed their own group within the house. Linda stayed home with the baby most of the time while the trio started running errands. And the subject of Linda's murder plot against David morphed into this group plan to murder Linda in David's defense. David told the girls, unless they killed Linda, he was going to have to leave them and run away forever. Mm -hmm. That was... (laughs) Just just do that. What a great option. Yeah, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, damn. As the weeks went by, Patty and David told Cinnamon the murder plot against David was escalating, and the trio started brainstorming different ways to kill Linda. David liked to get ideas from watching the news. He also used to pit the girls against each other, trying to make them compete for who had the best idea. Mm-hmm. And 14-year-old Cinnamon still thought this was some kind of dark game, mm-hmm. maybe. Like, they were kind of playing pretend. It felt like kind of, you know, shooting the breeze or something, some weird thing they wanted to do. So when the conversation escalated to pitch sessions of murder techniques, she she really still didn't think it was serious. And they were pitching stuff like drop a TV on Linda's head. Okay, throw it's cartoonish. A, right, like throw a live toaster in the bathtub while she's taking a bath. Um, put cyanide in her Coke. Run her over with an ATV. They were One of the pitches was pushing her off a cliff. Like whatever, kind of childish, cartoonish ideas. <laughs> yeah, right? Because they're teenagers. Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner type yeah. murder plots. It started to turn sour when David really started getting aggressive he's pushing harder that they had to murder Linda soon they were running out of time and he really leaned on this thing you know he's like I'm your father you need to trust me and he was like Cinnamon if you love me you're gonna help me get rid of Linda Mm -hmm. and for Cinnamon you know because of the way she grew up and also like getting shuffled around from house to house and whatever it's like really wanting to prove her love for her dad is like built into the fabric of who she was at the yeah time. yeah and he's also just been manipulating little girls his whole life yeah so of course he's gonna do that to his daughter and he's gonna be good at it by now yeah right and yeah. that's her dad that's who right. she grew up with yeah and then the bottom started to drop out, right? It really started going. All of a sudden, her grandfather, David's dad, Arthur, knew about the plans. And, you know, he would ask Cinnamon about them. He didn't agree with them, but he, like, never stood up for David and didn't make any stand against them, but he knew. So, like, now he's joining the the group kind of sometimes talking about murder plots and mm-hmm. stuff. And... Like, for instance, one night, Patty and David tried to talk Cinnamon into pushing Linda out of the van while they were speeding down the freeway. And Patty is in the back whispering these nasty things at Cinnamon in the back of the van, trying to get her to move up a seat and push Linda out of the door. Damn. So the plan definitely is to get Cinnamon to do it. 
Well, that's we'll we'll go over okay, it, right? Okay. So, but at this time, like mm-hmm. they were like, somebody has to do it, and yeah. David a lot of the time is like, you guys decide. Somebody has to do it. But the pressure, you know, does land on Cinnamon because Cinnamon is kind of the most vulnerable person sure, in that situation, yeah. right? And well, Arthur I, in mm-hmm. that situation, you know, hears what's going on, knows what the plan is, has heard what the plan is, yeah. and then moves to the back, sitting six next to Cinnamon, and whispers, your father's wrong, whatever you do, it's wrong, he's a sick man, I'm telling you now he's a sick man. Mm. So he's not standing up to David, but he's yeah. sort of whispering at the teenager, like, don't do it. Yeah. And then it became just a constant thing, planning, pressuring, threatening. In the weeks before Linda was killed, David made Cinnamon write a generic note about begging for forgiveness, something she didn't realize was going to be her future suicide note. Mm. Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. Two days before Linda was murdered, David decided the whole family, including his infant daughter, Crystal, and parents were going to the mountains to go camping, like way out in the mountains, to shoot guns and check on some money he had buried somewhere in the dirt. Okay. Well, okay. So they pack a crap load of guns, a crossbow, a whole lot of food and water, and they take off. Linda really didn't want to go. She's saying the baby's too young for the trip. I do not want to go. And she seemed upset, right? Mm -hmm. David, he didn't really seem to care if Linda went or not. He said, okay, I'll drop you off at your mom's house on your way to the, on our way to the campsite. So, you know, the whole family piles in with Grandpa Arthur and they drive off. But without saying anything David didn't drop Linda off at her mom's he just kept on driving so they're all kind of in silence he's really tense there's tension between the both they're not talking six hours later it's dark and they stop for food but David wouldn't even let them stretch their legs he had to go get the food and then he made everyone just pile back in the car and eat in the car while he kept driving up into the dark mountains So the tension mounted between Linda and David until Linda snapped. She wanted to turn around and go home. She was done. She was scared and then she just started screaming. She was Mm -hmm. shouting. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to set up camp in the middle of the night, in the wilderness. She wanted to go home right that minute. And David relented. He turned the van around and started driving back down the mountain. So that's like a 12-hour trip, round trip. The next day it rained. David invited his parents over for dinner and to play Uno. Linda and his mother Manuela were bickering about cooking and sleep training the baby. And then the grandparents finally left and Linda went to take a shower. And when they were alone, Cinnamon said, quote, it was just me, Patty, and my father left in the living room. My father was all, we have to do it. We have to do it. It has to be done. David told Cinnamon, If she really loved him, she'd murder Linda. Cinnamon started crying. Patty yelled at her. And then the girls basically cooled down and went to sleep in Patty's room. Mm -hmm. And Cinnamon told investigators at that point, she thought, well, people who are going to murder Linda aren't just going to go to sleep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So she thought that was a good sign that this was still kind of this weird game they were playing with her. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like a very extended, weird version of Uno. Yeah, or like, you know, when I used to play with my brother, where did Johnny go? He's invisible. You know, (laughs) it's just like it's some sort of psychological torture. (laughs) Yeah. 
Cinnamon said David woke them up in the middle of the night to tell them it was time. Earlier, David had told Cinnamon if anything ever went wrong with the plot to kill Linda, regardless of who actually did it, Mm -hmm. and people got suspicious, she was supposed to take the blame because she was the youngest. She wouldn't see any prison time, he told her. The worst that would happen is that they'd send her to a psychiatrist for a while. He's like, just you know, know that that's your role in this, regardless of what you actually do. Mm-hmm. So he gave Cinnamon the pills. He made her swallow all three bottles, telling her it was so she could fake a suicide and look as if she was sorry in case anything went wrong to really sell this idea that it was her fault. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Then he told her to get the suicide note out of the trailer and go to the doghouse. Cinnamon said when she was in the doghouse, she heard three gunshots. And then David came out and told her Patty killed Linda and to remember to take the blame of anyone asked. And then Cinnamon passed out. She said later in the hospital, David came in to remind her to take the blame when she was kind of in and out of consciousness. But she kept getting confused about the details. So David told her, just tell everyone she forgot everything that happened that night. And so that's what she did. She told everyone she forgot for four years. Mm -hmm. After years of being ignored in prison, she learned that David had collected close to a million dollars in life insurance on Linda, that Patty had been living with David and was pregnant, and that David wasn't sick or dying. He was thriving. He was living the high life. He was living in mansions, he, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yeah, yeah, episode. the Grecian pool and all this stuff. Well, and Jay Newell sent her a packet of yeah. pictures of all of the stuff they had and what right. they were doing. Right. And she just realized... He had just manipulated her into taking the blame. So armed with this new information, Jay Newell convinced Deputy District Attorney Jeff Robinson, remember that name, to pick up the case again and potentially file additional charges against David Brown and Patty Bailey Mm -hmm. for murder. Mm -hmm. And then... They put together a plan for Cinnamon to wear a wire. Hell yeah. I have a, real, real quick, where's her mom in all of this? Kind of floating in the ether. She's still visiting Cinnamon and like uh-huh. in Cinnamon's life in terms of coming to the Ventura school to like see her. Uh-huh. But she's remarried and I think she has like a young baby at this point. And Cinnamon never told her any of the truth. She also no, just... No, she didn't know. Okay. As far as I know. mm So Cinnamon requested an urgent visit from her father. So you remember at this point, visits have totally petered out. She cannot even get a hold of him. So she managed to kind of say, this is an emergency. You need to come down during visiting hours and see me. So he's a little panicked, right? Newell and his team set Cinnamon up with a device wired for sound, and then they set up a nearby surveillance post. And here's how it went. The plan was to get David on record saying anything that corroborated Cinnamon's story. To keep him from getting suspicious, Cinnamon had a plan. She said she wanted to talk because she was confused. She couldn't remember all the lies correctly and couldn't remember 
why she had shot Linda in the first place. And that the more she trips up on her lies during parole board hearings, Mm -hmm. the worse it got for her. So Mm -hmm. I think at this point she did understand that she wasn't going to serve a life term. She started to understand what was going on. And the way it worked, right, we talked about this last time, is because she was a juvenile sentenced to this, you know, 27 years to life. She really was only going to serve probably until her 25th birthday. Mm-hmm. But if she had good behavior, she could get six months knocked off her sentence. She could get paroled. And she was going up to the parole board every year and lying. Yeah. And really, that was keeping her in yeah, prison. Right. Cinnamon said that David promised she would out be out of prison by now. And she didn't understand why everyone was saying she was going to be in prison for years to come. So... <laughs> this whole conversation that Cinnamon had with her dad was kind of like wrestling a chubby eel. David was slippery <laughs> as hell. He started with the classics, right? Uh-huh. He didn't want to alarm her, but he was definitely dying. Okay, good. And then when that didn't work, he pivoted to how hard his life had been. Uh-huh. He was like, you don't even know. Linda's brothers are stalking me. He knows he's going to be murdered. He's having liver problems. It's like this whole thing right but cinnamon kept pushing and finally david came out with the reason that they had to kill linda and his ass straight up said it was because of the mafia okay sir what is this this is a wendy's what are you doing david launched into this whole thing Uh about don't you remember okay linda was a hardcore drug addict coke pcp whatever she could get her hands on he even said it was in her toxicology report Uh which she actually had a tiny sort of negligent amount of cocaine in her system that they said could have gotten there in lots of different ways Uh but he's like oh she was loaded with pills and powder right yeah so David said because of the drugs, Linda and her twin brother, Alan, got all tied up with the mob. And for payback, the mob wanted control of data recovery. They wanted data recovery real bad so they could further their criminal empire. And now that Linda was dead, they were still after him. So David said, quote, the mob is still trying to get Larry or Alan to, to off me. They, they want data recovery. As long as I'm alive, the government and everyone else comes to me. I mean, I've done the Pentagon. I'm the one that found out what killed the shuttle Challenger crew. All of that kind of stuff. The stealth bomber. That's critical to the United States. I've saved all that shit since you've been in here. The mafia wants to run it. They want the process. Mm. And if you remember, the process is literally hand washing old computer disks. <laughs> it's too funny, man. That's crazy. Okay. Okay. So he says all that. Right. So he does. So that is admitting that he killed Linda. There's something, right? So there's like, there is something in there. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if, if Cinnamon was making the whole thing up to get out of prison, yeah. right? Or shift the blame. David would say something like, honey, what are you talking about? Right. right? Yeah. I mean, he couldn't even stick to what his plan yeah. was. It was like, you're crazy. <laughs> now right? we have to get the mafia in the mix. <laughs> like it's, and that's like his downfall constantly. Mm-hmm. Like the book is amazing because there's so many transcripts. He's just like bebop, like whatever. He just says just the most insane things. And he changes his, like what he says constantly. He's yeah. always... Like, he doesn't have a point, but he thinks he's being, like, super slick. Yeah, it's just, like, a pathological liar, I guess. Yeah, and then also, like, 
you know, he thinks he's tricking you into being like, wow, you really weave a story. I know. And yeah. I feel so bad for you that you're dying. <laughs> you know, like he's really like thinks he's very charming. You know what happened to the shuttle challenge, shut challenger. I couldn't even do the reference. So that's how dumb I am. What was it? The challenger shuttle? Yeah. Whatever. You get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like if you surround yourself by people who are always going to tell you you're great, you might get to this point where, like, you have a uh, not accurate sense of who you are, you know? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know. Cult leaders outside of their followers look like the most foolish people in the world. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. But despite all this, Cinnamon was, like, laser focused. She's mm -hmm. actually, you know, was a pretty bright kid. So she always comes back to, oh, yeah, dad, totally, yeah, dad. But what do I tell the parole board, though? Yeah. I need to tell the truth. For David, the truth was fluid. It was whatever would keep him personally out of prison. You know, next he switched tactics. He says, you can tell them the truth if you don't tell them the whole truth, okay? Because if there was knowledge, if me, grandma, grandpa, Patty, everyone had knowledge in advance of what was going to happen, then we'd all go to jail, everyone. That doesn't make any sense because we weren't the ones who did anything wrong. Right. And then David pulled out the big guns. He said, fine, okay, okay. If you really can't hack it in prison, if you're panicking, Patty agreed to swap places with you. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, listen, yeah. Patty knows that if I have to go to prison, I'd just kill myself and she'd do anything to keep that from happening. So Cinnamon just at this point is like trying to get him to be real. So she starts, you know, shouting. She's like, I'm going to freak out if someone doesn't just tell me the truth. And David said, don't, don't lose it. Stop, stop. Okay, okay. Patty did it. Mm. David told Cinnamon it all made sense now. He couldn't figure out why Patty so easily agreed to take the blame. Patty was the one who killed Linda. Just... Keep pretending you don't remember and wait for Patty to confess and just get you out of here, right? Mm. So now investigators knew there were three people for sure involved, David, Patty, and Cinnamon. And now it was time to schedule a meeting with Patty. Once again, Cinnamon wore a wire and sat outside with David and Patty to dig for dirt. Patty was seeing Cinnamon for the first time in years. She had never visited. And they sat at a table under an umbrella and started out with boring small talk. David was just casually being super gross and creepy about the other teenage girls around the facility, like making gross <laughs> jokes and staring at them. True to himself, I guess. Yeah, right. And then also complaining very loudly about the traffic coming up and how annoying that was. Okay. David and Patty were like, oh, man, we sent you our new phone numbers. I don't know what happened. You know, our letters must have gotten lost in the mail. Like, you know, just this sort of whatever soft shoe BS stuff. Yeah. Cinnamon finally just got into it. She just looked at Patty point blank and was like, are you actually going to agree to confess and swap places with me? And Patty shrugged and said, you know, I'll do it if you really want me to. <laughs> and Cinnamon <laughs> asked, okay, fine. If you do it, will you tell the truth? And David, the whole time is like blocking Cinnamon from really talking to Patty. Mm -hmm. He's answering for her and doing all this stuff. And David just stops her from talking and he says, she'll tell them whatever she wants to tell them. 
Um, all they had to do was leave David out of it. But cracks immediately started showing in this plan, right? Like, not to mention, like, she's already been convicted. You can't just, like, swap people out of prison. Oh, yeah, obviously. Right? right. But then on top of that, it's like, okay, if Patty confessed to killing Linda, how would they explain Cinnamon taking the pills? Like, then there's no connection to that whatsoever if, if, they, if they don't talk about David, right? Yeah. And then Cinnamon doubled down at that point. Look, the truth is going to be easiest to tell. And all of a sudden, both David and Patty lost their memories. <laughs> they started talking really slowly, uh-huh. like they were in a dream. Like uh-huh. the truth? I mean, well, I don't remember what the truth or anything. Like they couldn't remember anything from the night Linda died or anything at all from that time period, like the months leading up to it. No plans to murder Linda, no murder plot made by the Bailey twins, nothing. Patty acted like she didn't even remember they owned a van. (laughs) You know what's hilarious about this too, just the whole like, once you step outside the cult thing, is Cinnamon's been living amongst like, you know, probably some hardened teenage kids yeah you know what i mean like she's been living in i mean i get that it's jail or whatever but the real world yeah you know she's she's been been around a bunch of yeah yeah you know a bunch of sharp mfers who are like you know she's learning the ways of the people are and learning what manipulation is and all this stuff like she's 500 times smarter than they are and also a billion times smarter than they can even conceive of her being right and she's been removed from the situation. Exactly. Yeah. That's she's a, like, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so they're like, just, oh, I don't know what man. Cinnamon <laughs> reminded them that the bullet fired in Patty's room yeah. was lodged in this tapestry above her bed. And then Patty responded, I can't think of tapestry. I'm thinking Tupperware? I don't know. <laughs> she can't remember what a tapestry is. Like that's how that's like how uh, extreme it was. It's yeah, like, tapestry. It's like one of those things that's on a necklace, right? Like uh, stop. You're just gonna make chain, it like a phoenix thing. <laughs> so cinnamon at this point when she says the Tupperware thing, she just stared at them and just starts laughing. I mean, she's just it's just like uh-huh. so embarrassingly stupid. The, yeah. the plot to swap them was so dumb. Yeah, right. And now they're pre- just pretending like they think they've stonewalled her, yeah. right? But they have incriminated themselves this entire time. So, it's not like, you know, it, it was just so goofy. Right. So everything devolved at that point. Cinnamon accused David and Patty of having an affair. Patty said, I don't care. I'm in love with David and I won't leave the house until he tells me. And like up until this point, David had been telling Cinnamon he'd already kicked Patty out. So she's like, oh, you're living there, right? She's getting all these lies. David said, you know, I don't love her. I think of Patty as a daughter. Then Cinnamon says, well, their makeout session in Kmart was obviously incest then. Mm -hmm. David was like, no. Sometimes parents kiss their children like that. And then Patty, who didn't get to go to school, was like, well, what's incest? Uh-huh. And then David explains incest. This is the type of person this guy is. Okay. <laughs> Fathers do it with their daughters. I mean, you know, that's not that unusual. As a matter of fact, it's very common. They have sex with their daughters. It doesn't make any difference to them. Whoever's handy. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whoever's handy. What? And then when Patty went to the bathroom, David leaned in conspiratorially and told Cinnamon he was absolutely terrified of Patty. Patty killed Linda and he was going to kill him next. Hilarious. So the tapes were confusing, uh-huh. but also super damning. Obviously, David and Patty had been involved in some way in this murder, right? And paired with Cinnamon's testimony, Newell had enough to make an arrest. So on September 22nd, 1988, at 7 a.m., David and Patty were arrested at their home for the murder of Linda Brown. The house was trashed. There were papers everywhere. They found Patty sleeping in a bed with her niece, Crystal. Patty's baby was down the hall in a nursery. And Jay Newell supervised David as in a final act. He went into his huge master bathroom with its entertainment center, stereo, and jacuzzi tub and took a Xanax. Despite the taped recordings being all over the place in terms of information, Newell and investigators felt that they had enough to establish motive, lust, and greed. It turned out David had four policies out on Linda Brown worth over $800,000. So when he bought that house in cash, Mm -hmm. it wasn't just data recovery money. Right. And of course, he was having an affair with her younger sister, Patty, in the months before Linda was murdered. So super meaty motive. Especially compared to like Cinnamon's thing of like evil stepmother. And then it's so thin with everybody saying they never really had problems. Right. You know, this is like a real motive. Of course. Yeah. In October 1988, Newell and the prosecution team were in the thick of preparing for David's trial, and they started noticing a whole bunch of little inconsistencies in Cinnamon's story. Mistakes in telling the story over years were totally fine, but if she were caught lying on the stand again, it could destroy their case against David because so much of it relied on Cinnamon's testimony and she had this long documented history of lying about the murder yeah. and it had taken her years to come clean. So proving her truthfulness would already be a hurdle to what was happening. Newell gave Cinnamon transcripts of all the wire tapes, the transcripts of interviews and told her to go through all of them and just let him know if there were any false statements and boy, did she. <laughs> there was one thing Cinnamon needed to come clean about, yeah. actually. She was the one who shot Linda Brown. Everything else she said was true leading up to the murder, but on the night of Linda's death, Cinnamon was the person who pulled the trigger. Mm. The Uno games, the arguments, the MTV, all of that was the same that night. David woke the girls up in the middle of the night, like Cinnamon said, telling them it was time. They had to kill Linda that night if they loved him. David fed her the pills and then took her back upstairs to Patty's room and told the girls one of them was going to have to shoot Linda. Then he told Cinnamon, after Linda is shot, I just need you to shoot yourself in the head just a little bit. Just make it look like a murder-suicide. Cinnamon said she was too scared to do that. So David sort of gave up saying the medication will have to be enough. He said he was going to leave. And if he came back and Linda was still alive, he was going to run away forever or kill himself. He handed Cinnamon an old pillow for her to use to muffle the sound of the gun. And then he spoke privately with Patty and left the house. Cinnamon 
found Patty in her room wiping down a gun with a towel. Patty handed the gun over and told Cinnamon to go into the room where Linda was sleeping and shoot her. Cinnamon said she walked in and fired the gun at the bed and the pillow got caught in the gun. So she ran back to Patty's room. Patty was holding Crystal and waiting. So the girls, while holding the baby, tried to pull the pillow fabric out of the gun and accidentally fired it, barely missing the baby. And that bullet lodged in a tapestry just above Patty's bed. After the second shot, they could hear Linda moaning from the bedroom. So Patty pulled the hammer back on the gun gave it to Cinnamon and told her she had to shoot Linda again. Cinnamon went back into the bedroom, shot Linda again, and dropped the gun on the floor after Linda stopped making noises. From there, she followed the plan David had coached her into. She got her suicide note from the trailer and crawled into the red doghouse. Even now, in telling it, it was obvious that Cinnamon didn't realize her father had attempted to kill her as well as Linda. Wow, yeah. Cinnamon's confession was actually a relief to everyone. It honestly just made the most sense. Mm -hmm. And it didn't do anything to get David Brown off the hook. In California, people who facilitate or aid in the commission of a crime are considered equally as guilty as the person who technically pulled the trigger. Yeah. Well, so, especially an adult who's like <laughs> been manipulating a child for what, a year at this point or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So just to recap at this point, investigators knew cinnamon was the shooter, not Patty. David had left before the shooting and actually genuinely probably couldn't be sure which girl pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. All he wanted to do was stay out of prison. Patty was so loyal to David in the face of everything. She was still lying to investigators, doing anything to protect David. And all of a sudden, all these conversations they secretly taped at the Ventura school made a hell of a lot more sense. They all started to piece together mm -hmm. as to like why it seemed so disjointed. Mm -hmm. As their... Trials grew nearer. David and Patty are now in jail being held. And David compulsively wrote love letters to Patty Bailey. Poems, cards, directives to read her Bible. Sometimes three notes a day. And he split into two personalities. David and Doug. You remember Doug? Oh, the Greek with the Trans Am? Yeah, so Doug was a sensual lover, and then David was the practical father figure urging her that they needed to stick together. So David would write things like, love is forgetting and forgiving. Love is the delight, the reason for living. Love can exist in a smile or a sigh. Love is simple, you and I. Love from Doug by David. <laughs> Uh, emphasis on the simple. He promised to run away with her and start a new life. He told her he'd never testify against her, that he also really wanted to join their trials together. He thought that was the best thing to do. But Patty wasn't biting, and she wasn't writing back. In November, David Brown had some court business, and while he was in the courthouse, he saw Patty hanging out with Jay Newell and Deputy DA Jeff 
Robinson. Literally the worst thing ever for Doug and mm-hmm. David. Like at this point, <laughs> Jay Newell is like his arch nemesis forever. Uh-huh. And so it's just like, you know, pull the rug out from underneath you, pull the plug, it's done. David was sure everything was burning down around him. So he pulled out his ace with a flourish. He wrote Patty a letter. He was dying and he found a guy in jail to help assist in his suicide. So David ended his note with, quote, that will be pretty soon now. Wish me luck. Maybe I'll be watching you guys grow from up there. I hope. Take care. God bless. David. When Patty didn't respond to that letter, David was gobsmacked. (laughs) And instead of writing to David, Patty was finally talking to Jay Newell. Patty's story was very similar to Cinnamon's, but it started a year earlier. And at first, it was just between Patty and David. David had been telling her Linda was boring She changed. She wasn't fun to be around anymore. And he began with these jokes about killing Linda that just slowly escalated over time. And then it wasn't a joke anymore. And then David introduced the idea that Linda and Alan were planning on killing him. Cinnamon wasn't involved at all at first because David thought she was too young to keep his secret. So, <laughs> what, 12 or 13? Yeah. So Patty was actually David's original choice to murder Linda, her sister. Uh-huh. David even got Patty to go as far as point a gun at her sleeping sister, but Patty just t- couldn't pull the trigger. Well, what, she's 16 at the time or yeah, something? Yeah. Or younger? She's about 16. Yeah. So she tried to talk David into just paralyzing Linda, okay? So her Mm -hmm. idea, her compromise was that they would be on the side of the road changing a tire and then there'd be an accident and they'd just crush her a little bit with the car so she could stay alive but she wouldn't be a threat. That sounds like one of these like, oh, just shoot yourself in the head a little bit or just these three bottles of pills. They're all just talking to each They only have each other to talk to. That's what they do. It's exactly that. It's just sort of like, yeah, what if we just do this a little bit? That does. That means it's not bad. Mm. You know? Yeah. Uh, David was having none of that. He wanted Linda dead, so they looped in Cinnamon. She said David said it was the only way to keep the family together, which was the most important thing to the two girls. And she said her loyalty was with David, and that's why she went along with it. If she had to make a choice, she could choose David and keep the family together or choose Linda and lose everything. Yeah. At this point, David started getting squirrely in jail. Things weren't going to plan. He could sense he was losing control over the situation. He started paying other inmates to contact and intimidate Patty in the women's jail. So Patty was moved into protective custody where she was then approached by a fake minister. David had an old convict buddy disguise himself as a Mormon lay minister called Reverend Mr. Dupree to gain access to Patty because, like, reverends could get in, but people couldn't. Damn, and the the prison was just falling for that? Well, they did for a little while. Okay. Uh, through this guy, da- David guilt-tripped Patty about her testimony saying like you could get me the death sentence he told her he'd buy her mom a new car if she quit cooperating and then he tried to talk Patty into like doing this series of 
they figured out a way to open a line of communication between them. So he was trying to talk her into talking to him on the phone. But Jay Newell starts looking into this guy and finds out, oh, this guy's got a rap sheet a mile long. He's also a child molester. He's the worst dude ever. Uh And as he realizes uh, people are looking into them, the reverend disappeared. He stopped visiting. David Brown's preliminary trial was held around Christmas 1988. Uh, This is like kind of to decide if you're going to go on with like you have enough evidence to go on with the full trial, Mm -hmm. right? Cinnamon testified about everything, including pulling the trigger on the gun that killed Linda Brown. And Patty, who had no plea deal and pretty much everything to lose, took the stand and came clean about everything as well, including the fact that David had been molesting her since she was 11 years old. Patty testified that when she moved in with Linda and David, David had actually convinced her that her mother had sold Patty to David for $10,000. She said that that that's what I would have, this is David's story, Uh that your mom said I could have made that much making you work as a prostitute. So I'm going to sell him, you know, so David rescued her by giving her mom $10,000. God damn. She told the court that David for years had promised to marry her and that he was the father of her baby, Heather. At the end of the preliminary hearing, it was very clear that he was going to be held on murder and conspiracy charges for a later trial date. So absolutely, yes, we're moving on with the murder trial. So David sat in jail, stewing and awaiting his trial, and there he met Richard Steinhardt. So Richard Steinhardt was in protective custody in the jail. He was caught up in some high-profile biker murder trial, and he was a reluctant witness. Steinhardt was David's dream. He was tough, long black hair, covered in tattoos, big, thick, manly mustache, tall, muscular, handsome, Everything that David wasn't. Sounds like me, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like I'm now, now I feel like I should go join a biker gang. Plus, uh-huh. here's something that would make you jealous. Okay. He was crazy good at martial arts. Oh, I am jealous. He won the National Karate Championships in the U.S. twice, the World Championship of the Universal Kenpo Kung Fu Association. He held third-degree black belts in six different martial arts. Damn. And he was the youngest certified grandmaster of the martial arts in the United States. So, so he's, like, famous. And kind of deadly, like... Prison guards, are, prison guards are like, will you just be cool? Like, don't do anything <laughs> yeah. crazy. God, he's probably good at pool and darts and like all the cool things mm-hmm. too. Steinhardt used his talents working as a high-end bouncer and bodyguard. And through that, he worked for Jerry Lewis. And he got involved with the Hessian motorcycle gang and actually did some contracted murders with them. Mm. He eventually got coked out on Powder Mountain and his life fell apart. That is not the Grand Master way, okay? I'm not a Kung Fu master, but if I was, I would be one of the good ones. Maybe you'd just be chasing that eye, man. Just kick higher and higher. No, I would be Zen. You know, I'd be floating above a mountain. All right. (laughs) 
During the first couple of days in jail, Steinhardt beat up this guy who was bragging about how he knew karate in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. And David Brown was like, hello, gorgeous, you be my friend now. Uh-huh. Uh, Richard's prison name was Goldie. David's was Hunchy or Thurston Howell the third. <laughs> Well, Hunchy's hilarious. I'm not smart enough to know why Thurston Howell the Third is. He's funny, the rich but... guy from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> uh, so Hunchy and Goldie became instant friends. Richard immediately tapped into David's obviously desperate need to be cool. That he was lonely, frustrated, and most importantly, loaded mm-hmm. with money. It took no time at all for David Brown to bring Steinhardt into his inner circle. And soon, David developed a diabolical plan. So Steinhardt is only being held sort of in protective custody, right? So he's going to be released soon. And David decided to have Steinhardt burn down his trailer for insurance money, help him escape from prison, and then finally had three to five people killed. He wanted Jeff Robinson, the deputy DA, prosecuting his case, and, of course, the lead investigator, Jay Newell, dead for sure, right? He also, Patty, for betraying him and not answering his letters. Then maybe his first wife, Brenda, and her second husband, because he was mad. And then possibly Linda's brother, Alan, or Larry Bailey, just to keep everyone on their toes. Okay. There's no explanation okay. for that one. Okay. How much they were he... still working for him. Yeah. How much is he going to pay for all those murders? A lot of money. Um, it, it's a little hard for me to track. I think it changes hands. And just hold on real quick. Is data recovery real? Is that Does he make legitimate yeah, yeah. money really doing that? That's yeah. not a part. He's not also scheming. No, no. He makes business. that money. He acts like it's more important than it is. Yeah. But he definitely makes that money. Okay. okay. He was making like 300K a year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Which in the 80s, that was like a billion dollars. Yeah. Still a lot today. Yeah. I think that officially puts you in the 1%. It's really... Anyways, keep going. Thanks. <laughs> David said after all this would was finished, he would give Steinhardt directions to $3 million he had buried in Yucca Valley in the desert, and they would dig up the money and run away to Australia, where they would ride motorcycles together, eat pizza, drink beer, and be best friends. <laughs> pizza in Australia? Yeah, this guy's really just throwing away around fantasies. Well, I also remember this guy's like a junk food addict, so uh-huh. like one of the most torturous things about prison for him was uh-huh. like he couldn't get exactly what he wanted, which was yeah. pizza. That's right. what he wanted, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> Steinhardt was all in. For most of it, he genuinely had the knowledge and the con- the contacts to actually pull off the arson, murders, and jailbreak. Mm-hmm. Mm, he'd probably kill David once he got the desert money and go off on his own, but they were all on the same page with everything else. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not going to go be friends with Hunchy. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious! Just, hey, hey, Australia, do you guys have any like cool pizza flavors sure that we now, need to know about? Oh yeah, flavors. Yeah, yeah. like crazy combos. Yeah, I'm a big are, pepperoni pineapple gal, so I like uh, blasphemous pizza toppings. Yeah, the 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 more it flies in the face of tradition, the more Muriel's on board. Please let me know. So. He's like, yeah, I'll do this plan, right? But Steinhardt had a change of heart 
when he started learning more about David Brown, that he was a child molester, that he framed his young daughter for murder, Steinhardt said, quote, I picked up a newspaper one day. I read about what David had done, the sexual molestation and stuff, and it just struck me in the heart, that piece of caca. It really disturbed my spirit. Mm. He was feeling gross about working with old Hunchy, and he decided to talk it out while walking the yard with his buddy, Irv Cully. So he's telling Cully all about this situation, right? And Cully just shrugged and was like, well... I ratted you both out anyway, so <laughs> I already did it. Turns out Coley was a classic snitch. Uh-huh. Did it all the time. He had overheard all their plans, <laughs> went to Jay Newell, and then snitched on everything. Desert Bunny, snitched on the plans. He even snitched on other plans that Richard didn't know about. Uh, uh. So Steinhardt was stuck now. He didn't like David. He didn't want to testify in the murder motorcycle gang trial, and he didn't want to be sent to witness protection. So he's like, whatever. He decides to talk to Newell, too. Maybe make a deal or something. Steinhardt went to Newell and confessed everything, you know, including like, hey, man, yeah, you're going to be the guy that I'm supposed to kill, man. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so they're talking face to face. And Jay Newell decided actually the safest bet was to continue with the plan. Let David think the hits were being carried out. If they blew up his plan with Richard Steinhardt, who knew who David would hire next, right? Mm-hmm. They may not right, right. know what, right. and may not see it, right? In fact, at this point, David was so industrious, he had already mobilized his family members who were on the outside helping arrange money exchanges and cars for Richard Steinhardt when he got out of jail, uh, who David was telling them was his new bodyguard. Okay. Richard Steinhardt agreed to wear a wire and get David Brown on tape talking about the escape plan and hits and the arson and everything. So they arranged for Richard to be quote unquote released so it would look as if he were on the outside, but really he would just be in a different jail. So Richard was released in February 1989, but not before meeting with David to kick off the whole sting operation. And David was once again duped into telling all his secrets to someone wearing a wire. The team arranged for Steinhardt and David to meet one last time in a holding cell where Steinhardt would bait David into outlining the entire plan. So Steinhardt told David he had this diehard, like ride or die guy on the outside named Animal, and he'd be staying at Animal's mom's house so David could call him there. (laughs) Animal's mom's house. (laughs) An animal, in reality, was an undercover detective, and Animal's mom's house was just an unlisted number routed to the Huntington Beach Police Department. Beautiful. Steinhardt spoke to David in code to really sell David on the authenticity of the situation. They had code names for everyone, but he still got David to confirm hits on Robinson, Newell, and Patty, with Brenda being on the maybe pile and then like saving the Bailey brothers for later. Mm Mm-hmm. David told Steinhardt his brother Tom would be the family contact on the outside. And Tom thought Steinhardt was this bodyguard hired to protect Crystal from any hitman Patty Bailey might send from jail. That was David's story. Okay. That's a classic gaslight, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then Tom would handle all his payments. 
They also went through the escape plan. So that idea was that David would request a dentist visit at his normal dentist. And there, Steinhardt, with his contacts, would ambush the police detail and shoot their way out of the dental office. David had planned this escape plan from the dentist's office and full, perfect detail, including specifically killing police. Mm. Again, all recorded sure. on the wire. Sure, sure. So Richard Steinhardt goes free, right? Quote, unquote, free. David loses the physical proximity to his very best friend, but he does get phone updates and check-ins on his jail slash, or jail escape slash arson slash murder plots, which of course are all recorded. Mm. Steinhardt was transferred to a holding cell in Huntington Beach Police Department. And while Steinhardt was in jail pretending to be out, Jay Newell was actually on the outside, sort of walking through all of the plans for the murders and arsons. So he was getting real, like, on-the-ground details that he would then relay back to Steinhardt as if Steinhardt had seen them. Mm -hmm. And he also was making contacts and figuring out who was involved on the outside, right? All of this in service to convince David Brown the whole dumbass scheme was going gangbusters. And Richard Steinhardt was a freaking Meryl Streep on these phone calls. (laughs) Like, he was really, like, great... At just acting, like he uh-huh. would like answer the phone and yawn like he was in bed and he had just woken up because he had a crazy night. Uh-huh, yeah. He would be like, oh man, just finished eating some pizza. <laughs> and they'd, or he'd walk around the cell and like mime getting food out of a refrigerator so it seemed like he was moving around while he's talking. See, man, this, this guy should have gone and been like a Chuck Norris or something. He's amazing. And he actually kind of has a really cool story. Uh-huh. I'll tell you about it. On the recorded phone calls, David was really thorough about how to ID Newell and Robinson, right? They're just like grounding it into the ground. Mm -hmm. He talked Steinhardt through using newspaper articles to identify Robinson and Newell by sight. But just to be sure, Reinhardt basically got David to describe his targets himself just to make sure they had it. Brown said the main thing was Jay Newell was ugly, old, and a bad dresser. (laughs) And quote, looks like a big, ugly rat. Rat has an ugly mustache. Yeah, we'll call him ugly mustache. (laughs) Which is like kind of not true. He's just the greatest hater of all time. Of course. He said Jeff Robinson, who apparently is just like built like a linebacker and gorgeous, um, was well built by getting fat. And then... (laughs) He said his wife, Patty Bailey, was a bony blonde with a weird bubble nose. He said, quote, it, her nose looks like two ball bearings stuck on the end of her nose. You know, one of those real bony, grisly type noses. Weird. And he's just hunchy. And he thinks that he's like a sex god. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to use that power for evil, but how bad do you wish you were like that? You know? Oh yeah, like having that confidence. Oh my god, it's just so as, attractive. It's <laughs> it just seems like it'd be cool just to like fully believe that you are hotter than every single other person in the whole world and the whole time you just can't even like feed yourself correctly. You're so handsome and I love what you're saying that you also have had a booger in your nose this whole time. Makes <laughs> what you're saying really funny. Oh, if it's so funny, then why are you the only one laughing? <laughs> that was 
wasn't that. That's a little booger. That was small. I'm. I mean, you could see it from across the table, which is weird because you're blind. So I don't know even know how you saw that. All right, back to the story. Very dark. He's describing how he wants everyone mm-hmm. killed. So yeah, he yeah. says, I want Robinson and Newell to be shot in the back of the head. Then he wanted Steinhardt to plant a woman in the section of the jail where Patty was being held to stab her. He actually needed two women, one to kill her and one to tell police that Patty had confessed that she lied about everything okay. at David's preliminary hearing. So he was trying to wipe people out, but also make it so he didn't have to go to Trial. Yeah, he's just doing everything he thinks uh, is going to work. Yeah, yeah. He promised Steinhardt cash and also gave him half the directions to the buried desert money. Directions to a property he owned in Yucca Valley where it was buried under a boulder. So Steinhardt finally actually was released into the wild because he had to start, you know, going and getting money from Tom and doing all of this stuff mm, out there. Right? Yeah. So David got his brother Tom to get a check from his lawyer for, quote, rare coins. And on February 8th, 1989, Tom delivered $10,000 to Steinhardt in the parking lot of a Bennigan's, which was all recorded with a hidden camera. Man, so all these conspirators conspirators are going to get taken down too, huh? Mm. That same day, David had a visit in jail from an undercover narcotics agent posing as the girl Steinhardt hired to discredit Patty. Again, wearing a wire and leaning on David to really describe his crimes. Uh The woman, who was going under the name Smiley, couldn't get a word in edgewise, though, because David would not stop trying to shoot his shot. (laughs) After a conversation... Mac's gonna Mac. Just peppered with gross sexual innuendos, David finished the meeting by saying, quote, you're beautiful. If you want to get to know me a little better, I could take care of you for the rest of your life. I take care of people. That's how I've managed to get ahead. (laughs) Right into the microphone. (laughs) And you know, Uh, David was pumped. He uh was a genius, superstar, master, and everything was perfect. Probably this chick Smiley would be his new girlfriend. Yeah. He was about to get out of jail and all his enemies would be smoked. On Friday, February 10th, Steinhardt called David Brown to give him updates. The hits would be happening on Monday or Tuesday. After that, Steinhardt would get all of David Brown's fake identification records, get them all ready to travel to Australia. After the business end was done, Steinhardt let a beat go and said, okay, I miss you. David gushed back. I miss the hell out of you, Richard. God damn it. I don't believe how much I love you. Steinhardt shot back. I don't think we'll be needing that other five grand for the escape. I think if we get rid of Patty and the two cops and all your problems, you're going to beat this thing and walk away. And then he said, that's what I'm counting on. We can do everything. No hiding, man. That's what I'm so fucking excited about. I don't know if I can love you anymore except for cruising on a bike ought to give me a new feeling. Steinhardt called again on Monday. David Brown picked up a phone in the crowded open area of the jail and found out the hits were done. Steinhardt and Animal had eliminated Jay Newell and Jeff Robinson 
Patty was just going to be a few moments later. It had gone perfectly. Steinhardt yelled into the receiver, all pumped up, while David whispered, you know, paranoid. And David told Steinhardt that he loved him and gave him the other half of the directions to the buried desert money. David's brother, Tom Brown, met Steinhardt and Animal, the undercover detective, again at Bennigan's and handed over this time $11,000 in cash. But this time, Tom Brown was swarmed by cops pointing their guns, screaming for him to get out of the car, and he was fake arrested for the fake murders. (laughs) The plan was to scare Tom Brown, right? Yeah, yeah. David Brown's lawyer and any, also David Brown's lawyer and then anyone else involved into giving out any lingering information or incriminating themselves. They needed to see how much people knew, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at this point, investigators still didn't know if they were willing participants in this whole scheme. Jay Newell interrogated David Brown's terrified brother. Tom Brown was just super pissed. He genuinely thought he had been paying a bodyguard and had no idea what David had dragged him into. Jay Newell also added a little pizzazz to the whole thing. After all, David had tried to murder him. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to give David a little parting anxiety before the bust was over. He told Tom Brown, you're under arrest for murder. Some people got killed. And one of them, it looks like, was the wrong person. So Tom Brown was held for a few hours and then released after everyone was satisfied. He really just didn't know anything. And, you know, Tom had told him, listen, I just get my checks from David's lawyer. I never ask any questions. Now, predictably, like Newell thought, the first thing Tom did after being released was go to the lawyer and his parents, spreading the news of David's incompetent hitmen which of course is something that Jay Newell intended to get back to David Brown he wanted him to get get Uh wind of like oh it's not only is it botched yeah not only is Steinhardt in jail and animals in jail but they actually killed the wrong people yeah 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 I have never enjoyed someone being tricked this hard. Usually you'll show me prank videos. I hate prank videos. I don't like it when people get pranked or tricked. But this, (laughs) I am loving. So after, you know, Tom Brown gets out and he spreads the news, that same night, David's attorney, Joel Baruch, made an emergency visit to David Brown in jail. And, you know, you can't listen to that because it's Mm -hmm. privileged, right? But the guards remember the lawyer just wildly waving his arms (laughs) while David sucked down cigarettes. After the meeting, the lawyer (laughs) said for like an anniversary or something, he just like flew to Florida. He got out of the state. (laughs) And David toddled off to his buddy and world-class snitch, Irv Cully's cell, yelling, Cully! Cully! Goldie fucked up. Goldie fucked up. (laughs) So the next day, on Valentine's Day, 1989, David found out he'd been set up. No one had been killed. His best friend had thrown him to the wolves, and he was charged with three counts of conspiracy to commit murder, three counts of solicitation to commit murder, solicitation to commit perjury, subordination of perjury, and conspiracy to commit arson. Patty 
was devastated, but like in a come to Jesus way, of course he had yeah. tried to get her killed. Yeah. And now that she was outed for killing her sister, she was cut off from the whole family. She was totally alone. Mm. So in the aftermath, Irv Cully was moved to protective custody. Patty tried to hang herself in her cell. Steinhardt was so hated, he couldn't find a place to live. In jail, he was branded a snitch. On the outside, the Hessian motorcycle gang were trying to murder him for that whole other murder trial he was mm -hmm. scheduled to testify in. Mm -hmm. And so Jay Newell legit took him and stuck him in a rented vault at a defunct bank for safekeeping until David's trial. He just like rented it. <laughs> That's hilarious. What? <laughs> you get to he live in a bank go. now? Yeah, he could Just come like and Scrooge go. McDuck swimming through the gold coins? <laughs> he could come and go when he was just like, I don't know, I'm just going to put you in here so you don't get murdered. Now, Steinhardt did manage to snag a buddy and escape to the desert to try and find David mm -hmm. Brown's buried money. Mm -hmm. He followed the directions to a giant boulder in Yucca Valley. They dug underneath the boulder for hours, holding it up with a makeshift structure, which eventually collapsed, severed Steinhardt's finger, and then rolled away down the hill. Okay. They never found the money, and Steinhardt's finger was reattached later. <laughs> After that, he was busted for buying Coke and sent back to jail. And there, he legitimately found Jesus. He went into rehab after jail and then became an advocate and addiction specialist mm. who did talks. And, you know, he did become kind of like a, I don't like Chuck Norris, but he became a cool guy who knows karate and yeah, has some wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 21-year-old Patty Bailey pled guilty to first-degree murder on June 2nd, 1989. The sentence was 27 years to life, but because she was still a minor at the time of her crime, she'd probably be released by her 25th birthday. Mm -hmm. Again, no one bothered to explain that to Patty. She thought she would go to adult prison for the rest of her sentence after being released from the Ventura school at 25. So she sobbed through her entire sentence yeah. thinking she'd be there for the rest of her life. Why don't they explain that better? I don't understand. Well, I just don't think, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, it's very easy to look at her actions and be like, Oh, she's like a cold blooded killer. And then if you dig into the world in which she came from and how she was treated by th the people in her life who might love her or protect her, you know, you, you, I don't know what I'm saying. Like no one's taking care of her. No, yeah, and this system oh, yeah. is not taking care of her. You I know? mean, you know that I mean also just this idea that these girls are like, Oh, you're actually going to get five years, but then they think they're going to get 30 years. Yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is, is that in their interpersonal lives, they were not taken care of. And then society wasn't taking care of them. And then in this system that just continues, they're just not taken care of. Yeah, you're right. I also just think, explain it, man. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Patty Bailey had survived to be a star witness at her husband's trial. David hired a new team of very expensive lawyers, five in total. And David Brown's lawyers wanted a new prosecutorial team to replace Deputy DA Robinson at the trial because obviously David had tried to kill him and they thought it would be prejudicial to the jury uh -huh. for Robinson to be arguing this case and be like, and then he tried to kill me right. and the lead investigator who's going to be also a witness. Did that happen? Uh, 
The thing was is that Robinson genuinely just knew more about the case than anyone else. It was a really complicated case. Yeah. And he just was the best person for the job. So they all came to a compromise. The evidence in the murder for a higher plot would be presented just without the names of Jeff Robertson or Jay Newell. So the jury wouldn't know that the lead investigator and lead prosecutor of the case were David <laughs> Brown's murder targets. Right. They would just be like the guy and the okay. other guy, right? Okay. Jury selection began in April 1990 and the trial was off to the races. Now listen. <laughs> You know, I don't cover trials like super hardcore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the real deal is that the tapes were just so damning, uh-huh. <laughs> especially played one after the other. It was just like, you know, the Ventura tapes. Mm-hmm. And then like his first interrogation where he just talked for three hours about nothing. They just let him talk. They played the whole three hours <laughs> and he just sounded like a yeah, right. the hugest jerk. Right. Yeah. And then also then all of the Steinhardt tapes and Mm -hmm. like him saying, I love you and him being like, I can't wait to kill the guy with the rat face. Right. (laughs) My, I know my, um, bubble nose child bride. Yeah. I mean, it's just horrible. Right. So it just really looked terrible for David Brown from the very beginning. His defense lawyers were left with their only option being to discredit the teenage girls that David had spent his life abusing like that option was ghoulish right right david felt the trial going sideways he scowled for most of it and he was always trying to control things so he's like whispering to his team of lawyers like furiously writing things down and trying to get his lawyers attention tapping them on the shoulder (laughs) like shut up he very much wanted to testify, uh-huh. but his lawyers talked him out of it. You know, it was as if he thought, if I can testify, I can just fix everything, get yeah, the record right. straight, make sure they know what's up, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's like a part of some of these psychopathic liars. You just think that you will ultimately fix, you, it'll ultimately work. Yeah, you the just phoenix rising up from the ashes. Okay, all right. By the time they reached closing arguments, David Brown was sunk. Prosecutor Jeff Robinson was on a roll. I'm not going to read all this stuff that he said. It was just yeah. like so cutting. Uh-huh. Uh, when he called David Brown a love god, David was shocked when the whole gallery erupted in laughter. <laughs> of course he was. Of course he was. Yeah. And his own defense lawyer wasn't much, much better. He was just trying to mop up a swimming pool full of gravy with a washcloth to try and rescue David. His defense painted him as this like, giant scared wiener afraid manipulative impotent you know so for both sides of the closing arguments the entire time uh david brown was as red as a tomato with rage (laughs) right yeah just getting eviscerated yeah yeah on june 15th 1990 david was found guilty on all counts David Brown's sentencing hearing was pushed. He said he had letters coming from high places like the Pentagon to support him. That did not happen. Mm -hmm. However, lots of people wrote letters to support the harshest sentence possible for David. In September 1990, David was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Mm. Superior Court Judge Donald A. McCartan handed down the sentence with this to say, quote, The trouble is, Mr. Brown, you're a scary person. I have some concerns for my own safety. 
you don't look like Charlie Manson. He's crazy to look at. But you look a lot saner than your own defense attorney. <laughs> but look what you did from jail. Look what you did to your own children, to your sister-in-law. It's scary to think you can manipulate people and do all this and not bat an eye. Even Charlie Manson didn't use family. You're a master manipulator. I think the circumstances of this case are unbelievable. You seem to have a pleasant personality, but you had no concern from your daughter, for your sister-in-law, for your wife. Mr. Brown, you make Charlie Manson look like a piker. Which Man. is all, I was like such a great paragraph, but what's a piker? I know. <laughs> just ended it with the most out of date thing. Probably no one in the courtroom even knew what it was back then. It's like a gambler who deals in really small stakes. It's like a small time person. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's what the internet says. <laughs> David Brown was uh. offended at the vitriol. He thought it was way over the top, and he told his guards, "Quote." He didn't have to say that thing about Manson. And that's it. The girls got out in their mid-20s. Jay Newell helped Cinnamon put her life back together. Mm. He even testified at her parole hearings. And David Brown died in prison in 2014. Also, just one little thing. Yeah. The jury uh, still has reunions at the parking lot in the Bennigans. Really? (laughs) Or at least at the time that this book was written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thought that was great. I guess it's a small question, but the letters that people wrote that wanted the harshest punishment, was it people he knew or just like the public who was paying attention? I think it was mostly people he knew, Mm -hmm. people like um, probably Brenda and the Baileys Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. The Baileys were at the trial the whole time. And when he got convicted... They were literally screaming and jumping around in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that Cinnamon did okay. Is there more information you know about her, the rest of her life? I didn't write it down. I, I think she got married. She married a friend of Jay Newell's family who was like her age. And, uh, she, he was like, they were spending time together. She, uh-huh. They kind of like supported her transition out of prison. Because uh-huh. when she went in, she was 14. So right. like she had to learn all this stuff. Okay, well, there's someone taking care of her. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better about this world. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> what? Uh, Anne Rule yeah. got to go in to the prison and interview David directly. Uh-huh. And she was just... It was, it's really interesting to read, mm-hmm. but he, she's just like, he is such a psychopath, you yeah. know? And uh-huh. also like, she just said, oh, he thinks that I'm going to, he thinks he can talk me into, um, <laughs> writing that he should be exonerated Yeah. after all of that. So I mean, all he did was complaint. He was just like, everybody's terrible. Yeah. You know, you, you got, you better look into Linda. I mean, you better look into Patty. Like he just was delusional is that narcissism what is that what is that that's crazy yeah i don't know i mean i you know me i don't really know what the terms are but yeah i think it, it, she was just floored yeah by how um he had created his own version of reality and then also how she could see him really thinking that he could she, he could convince her you know, and flattering her. Oh, you, yeah. you're one of the smartest women I ever knew. You right, know, um, right. you're a really intelligent woman. And like trying to butter her up. And when she would ask certain questions, 
you know, he would get, she was trying to get under his skin and he was just definitely like seething. That is so bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Just after all that time, you just fail. You're in jail. You've heard everyone tell you all the truths about you. This episode is already so long, but yeah. and this is something I cut out that I think is insane. But also, <laughs> while they were getting ready for his murder trial, he paid someone to try and testify that Jay Newell and Jeff Robinson had entrapped him. Uh-huh. So he paid someone like in diamond jewelry who was in the like his new Steinhardt, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They paid him and he paid him in diamond jewelry to make up this whole thing about how David Brown had been entrapped by the prosecution team and they had tricked him and then threatened him and told him like, I'll kill your family if you don't, you know, play along with these wiretaps. So he's like, I knew, you know, he got him to say, oh, I knew the whole time, Mm -hmm, but they just mm -hmm. entrapped me. They forced me to do it. And that guy flipped on uh, David Brown, but not before that became the crux of the whole defense's position. They were going to base it all on this guy's testimony that David Brown was entrapped. And basically what happened was that guy flipped and told the prosecution team and then they added that to evidence including like just all the evidence of transferring the ring over and mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. payments and stuff like that and because of the way that the trial works the defense didn't get to see that evidence that their star witness was actually lying and David had done it to himself he had paid him they didn't get to see that until after the opening remarks so there was nothing for them at the rest of the trial. The only thing they could do is Just say, talk oh, about how horrible he is. Like, and, and, and be like, oh, well, Cinnamon and, and you know, Patty were just such bad girls and yeah, they were yeah. running the house. Yeah, yeah. It's the only thing they had because David had actually cut himself off at the knees by yeah. creating a whole fake. He still couldn't let it be. No, in the am I the asshole uh, world, it's the everybody sucks here line of defense yeah exactly oh my god and then Anne rule comes and he's just sitting there trying to mack her down and he's just while he's bleeding out of his butthole the whole time <laughs> <laughs> if you really love me that that is like the craziest most horrible manipulative move right there i know if you really i feel like me. i asked i say that to you if i want you to get me water or something. <laughs> i know you always <laughs> say <coffee>. t- <laughs> you always say it to me what it's just something i will obviously do like i love getting you water and coffee i you know there's elements of being like polite or serving you or whatever <laughs> that bring me just literal joy and I love doing it. You're like, will you please do it? It's like, I'm already doing it. I'm taking care of you because I know you're going to take care of me. <laughs> ah, you can call me hunchy. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh baby, you are our favorite people in the world. The ones that listen to multiple part stories and stick around for the outro. Woo! God bless you, everyone. Oh, my goodness. If you're listening on Apple and you haven't done it yet, man, leave us a five-star review. If you're listening on Spotify and you leave haven't done it yet, review. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Hit those five stars, baby. And if you're listening anywhere else, please do the good thing that your platform of choice has built into it. Every time you interact with our show, it helps the two of us directly. This is a two-person operation, indie style. Muriel did all the research writing and hosting. I do all the rest. When you send us money by either donating directly or signing up for Patreon or our Spotify, you are sending that money directly to Muriel and I. And when you share this show with someone in your life or a community on the internet, you are directly supporting the people that whose voices you have been listening to. Yeah. That was great, Nick. You yeah, just wrote that. I'm, I'm pretty good. If you're in the mood for a non-true crime podcast, you have to check out the Good Stuff podcast produced by a bunch of fancy people, including my husband, Nick Castellini. That's me. Recent guests include Seattle legend Fantasy A, who's an autistic rapper and actor who stars in Fantasy A Gets a Mattress. Yeah, this new feature film blowing up Seattle, and it's not SAG or whatever, so it's not against unions to promote it. Yeah, man. You know and what I mean? Like, who could resist that title? Yeah. And Natalie Wood Stainer, who is the oldest cheerleader to make the squad for the Dallas Cowboys. It's a great story. Yeah, her life. She really overcame came a lot and she's she's great our music is by mario castellini check out links to his music and social media and the show notes of this episode if you want to know what nick looks like uh uh-huh Check out Mario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could also see me on Instagram, but just definitely look at Mario. Yeah, just saying, you wanna, you know? it's just great. Imagine those two guys mobbing around. <laughs> Hair wearing, flapping in the wind. Wearing the same warm-up jacket. <laughs> I love these boys. Okay, all right. And we love you. Peace be with you. Take care. Bye.